Hello and welcome to Ghost to Divers. This is an anime podcast on the Export Audio Network. I am your co-host Neve, and I'm joined as always by your other co-host Connor. Hey. And we have our special guests, uh, Josh. Hi. And people heard you do your whole this is who I am last time. But if you want to say anything, you can. Uh, if they don't remember this. me, uh, close the episode. Um, cease listening. Craig was having technical difficulties, and um, we'll see if he'll be back for, for the next one. But um, yeah, we're going to talk about episodes one through seven of Paranoia Agent. Obviously, that's the title of the episode and why you're all here, I'm assuming. Um, do we have any intro stuff we want to talk about, or do you just want to get into the first synopsis, Connor? Uh, yeah, let's just do the first synopsis. Short intros okay. only for this episode. Yeah, so we'll just, just run through right all it. of the um, the synopses, I think, and then we can talk about the show, because even though this is very episodic and I think we could do it episode by episode, there's also stuff where it's like, I don't want to talk about everything that happens in episode one until we have more context, so right. um, yeah, I think we can yeah. just run through all the synopses. Okay, um, episode one, Enter Lil Slugger, Shonen Bat. Uh so, uh, Sagi Sukiko, a shy character designer who is having trouble creating her next character, feels pressured and overwhelmed at work. She has already created a very successful character, a pink dog called Moromi, and her boss expects the next character to be even better. On her way home, she is startled by a homeless woman rummaging through rubbish. At the height of her despair, uh, interesting word choice, uh, she is suddenly attacked by someone carrying a golden baseball bat. Meanwhile, intercut through the, throughout this action, a sleazy reporter named Kawazu Akio is struggling to find a good story while being hounded by loan sharks. Um, it's and also there's like a man that he's hit that he's obligated. There's some yeah. sort of settlement he has to pay the medical bills for. Um, when a pair of detectives interrogate Sukiko, she describes the suspect as an elementary school aged boy wearing golden inline skates and a red hat. The younger of the detectives, Maniwa sympathizes with Tsukiko, but the older Ikari suspects her of lying. The media preys on the story, and Kawazu latches onto the story uh, and tells Tsukiko in an attempt to get further details, um, seeing an opportunity to like make some money off of like a you know TMZ style like you know expose or uh, exploitative you know scoop. Yeah. Um, Tsukiko seems to become more and more distraught. As accusations that she lied about the, the attack mount up, um, there's kind of like a rumor mill um, and like suspicion of her online in the workplace. Um, and as Kawazu continues to hound her, often in sexually aggressive and lecherous ways, um, it, well, contributing to, to all of this, um, yeah. when, he, when he's still trying to beg his loan sharks for more time on his debts, tries to confront Sukiko outside of her own home at night, she flees and Kawazu gives chase, only to be attacked by Shonen Bat himself. Uh, episode two. Uh, this one's called the Golden Shoes. Um, so, uh, from those two uh, little slugger victims, we go to uh, Yuichi Taira, who's like a really popular little boy. Um, he has uh, his own like sort of hero complexes about himself. Uh, very like uh, egocentric little child. Um, but uh, now that the image of Little Slugger is sort of out in the media, um, his sort of trademark baseball cap and golden inline skates that he always wears 
um, sort of become a target uh, for suspicion and fear. Um, so kind of all at once, all of the kids in his school uh, sort of turn against him, uh, whispering things behind his back, uh, writing things on the desk, whatever. Um, he tries to have a, a stiff upper lip about this, um, but it just keeps getting worse and worse. Um, and he sort of uh, directs all of his ire um, at who he believes to be um, the culprit behind the rumor mill, uh, Shogo Ushiyama, uh, who's like a little boy who just doesn't think is as good as him. Um, Ushiyama is like generally agreeable. Um, the other kids seem to you know like him decently enough, uh, and uh, Yuichi is threatened by this. Um, and the only person he can confide in is his tutor, uh, Harumi Chono, um, who in the episode he calls her his heart. Um, he uh, sort of confronts Ushiyama, uh, demands to know why he's done this to him, etc. And of course, Ushiyama has no idea what he's talking about. Uh, but other classmates um, sort of capture this moment on film and the, uh, the bullying intensifies. Um, Ushiyama defends him to their classmates, which only makes Yuichi hate him more. Um, and, uh, the police, uh, our, our detective characters come to interview, uh, Yuichi because of, you know, the rumor mill that he's a little slugger. He has the same attributes. Um, uh, Yuichi, formerly the star of the class, uh, has a birthday party and nobody but his mother and Harumi Chono attend. Um, and Ushiyama, you know, definitely not reading the room. Uh, keeps getting closer and closer to Yuichi, like trying to be his friend. Um, and, uh, you know, Yuichi, kind of at the end of his rope, uh, wishes uh, w- wishes beyond um, with all of his heart that Ushiyama would be the next victim of a Little Slugger. And uh, almost immediately, he does become the victim of Little Slugger. Um, of course, this does not uh, <laughs> uh, 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 erase any suspicion from Yuichi, and in fact, the bullying only intensifies uh, to the point where he is uh, now afraid to go to school. Um, he has uh, what could only be described as a psychotic break um, when he leaves his house and is then a victim of Little Slugger himself. Um, episode three. Uh, also, as a note, the... I'm, I'm assuming people have like different subtitles that they're working from. Uh, Cause I know there's some localizations where they do little slugger uh, and then other ones that keep the Japanese Shonen bat. Um, so I stuck with Shonen bat in the synopses, but they're like, it just depends on what localization you have, I guess. Um, so episode three, double lips. Uh, so Chono Harumi, who as a reminder is Yuichi's tutor, uh, is revealed to be a woman with dissociative identity disorder. And she's basically trying to reclaim power from her sex worker alter ego, um, who goes by the name Maria. Uh, the two personalities have these conversations with each other where they are leaving answering machine messages, uh, and so they can listen to the answering machine and also sort of go back and forth. Um, and then when uh, Harumi's colleague at GI University uh, proposes marriage, uh, that's where she's been like working as a research assistant uh, as her normal job in addition to this like tutor work she does, um, she becomes increasingly dis- uh, desperate and um, basically says like, yes, accepts the marriage, but then doesn't want Maria to be found out and basically is like trying to rid Maria from, from her life. Uh, so she throws out all of Maria's clothes. Um, and you know, right when she arrives at the dump to, to 
throw all the clothes away. Personality shifts back to Maria and she takes them all back. Um, and then, uh, throughout this, she's been talking to her psychiatrist who, um, seems to be like trying to push for some sort of, uh, reconciliation between the two personalities, um, and kind of trying to like almost support Maria, it seems like, um, being like, you know, she wants you to be happy. Um, and is saying like, you, you need to tell your fiance, like with this condition, you need support from like the people in your life and you can't just keep this a secret from him. Uh, but she does not take that advice at all. Um, we see her visit, uh, Yuichi after his assault and she's like basically just lost in her own mind, uh, to which Yuichi remarks that it seems like she needs a doctor more than him. Um, Eventually, the warring between the personalities escalates into, like, rapid switching back and forth, um, violent fight that's between them that's breaking out in the streets of Tokyo, uh, and then Shonen Bat comes and strikes her. Um, in the final moments of this episode, uh, we then see a news report that a police officer named Hirokawa Masami has arrested Shonen Bat. Uh, episode four, A Man's Path. Uh, we are then introduced to Hirokawa Masami, uh, who's a middle-aged, low-level police officer, um, who, despite calling himself a family man, uh, accepts bribes in the form of cash and sex workers from a local Yakuza group, uh, with his favorite sex worker being Maria. Um, we've actually seen him in episode three. Uh, we just didn't yeah. know who he was um, at the time. Uh, Notably, Hiro- in that episode, he insists that she call him daddy, which will will come up in this. Come up later, yeah. yeah. Um, Hirokawa uh, purchases a house for his family um, using some of uh, this money. We later learn it's this illegally obtained money. Um, and this house becomes uh, a, major, um, a major symbol um, for him and also for uh other characters um as we go on uh however uh in the course of making the money for the house um he it turns out he has now uh squeezed the yakuza too much um so they send their boss makabe to deal with him um makabe in turn extorts him um basically saying you know oh well um you owe us 2 million yen um, as a present for uh, your Yakuza contacts wedding. Um, he reminds Hirokawa that uh, his friend gave him this money, uh, and there, therefore he, he, in a sense, owes, um, owes it back. Uh, and if he doesn't pay it back, then something bad might happen to his house. Um, you know, your typical um, Yakuza gangster movie extortion. Um, Makabe punctuates this point by extinguishing his cigarette on Hirokawa's forehead, um, which he, uh, seems to really have an affinity for doing. Um, in desperation, Hirokawa dons a blue jumpsuit and pink ski mask and begins robbing helpless local families and individuals. Um, as this goes on, Makabe, like, continues to, um, raise the amount of money that's owed, um, stringing him along and basically like entrapping him in this um, never-ending cycle of um, of like debt. Um, and uh, Hirokawa is like um, kind of like losing his nerve uh, and breaking down 
Um, so Makabe gives him some, um, I guess what we can assume are stimulants. Yeah, it's um, some drug. It's, it definitely seems like an upper. Yeah, it's meth yeah. adjacent. Yeah. Yeah, or like PCP or something um, for his courage. Um, Hirokawa then, um, high on this drug, attacks one family um, and is like almost completing the robbery when their daughter walks in. Um, and uh, he, uh, like, in this moment of like extreme derangement, um, like terrifies the daughter and uh, demands that she call him daddy. And then uh, it cuts away where it's not clear what happens after that. Um, later, uh, the next time we see him, he's walking alone on a deserted road. Um, basically in total dejection, um, crying out for help and begging someone to stop him. Um, and suddenly in this moment, he's attacked by Shonen Bat. Um, however, unlike the other victims, he is not incapacitated and instead chases after his attacker, uh, who he uh, knocks down and subdues and arrests. Um, so now Shonen Bat has been arrested uh, and uh, awaits questioning by Ikari and Manila. Uh, episode five. Uh, episode five is uh, Holy Warrior. Um, so this one is all about um, Ikari and Maniwa interrogating um, Kozuka. Uh, uh, Kozuka is a child who is dressed exactly like um, the little slugger depiction in the news. Um, and he is admitting to the attacks, but he's admitting to the attacks in a way where he is telling Ikari and Maniwa this um, sort of fanciful tale of a uh, some sort of demon named Goma uh, who is terrorizing the town folk. Um, and uh, Kozuka believes himself to be a uh, sort of holy knight on a quest to save Kozuka. And um, while telling this story, uh, you know, we kind of get um, a bit more of an unreality uh, from the visuals than we've uh, received so far. Um, because uh, he's, uh, as Kozuka is sort of telling his story, we're drawn into this sort of like, very uh, familiar, like RPG world. Uh, Kozuka is a knight with a sword, uh, and um, Ikari and Maniwa are just along for the ride. Um, he uh, Kozuka begins to sort of tell uh, the timeline of his uh, attacks, um, but he frames them in this sort of game sort of perspective. Um, uh, Kawazu, for instance, uh, becomes a sort of like frog, uh, like a little talking frog. Uh, uh, Harumi Chono becomes like this like princess who's like possessed by like a butterfly demon um, and he must defeat them to you know gain these various MacGuffins um, that uh, sort of justify his attacks um, because Mani was a bit more of a uh, clever detective than uh, Ikari uh, Maniwa decides to play along um, he in in the visuals dons this attire of like a sage or a scribe, um, and is sort of um, yes anding Kozuka through these uh, through these sort of tales. Um, but of course, Akari uh, is grumbling and complaining the whole time. Um, and he uh, gets many details correct um, in terms of like the actual crime scene facts. Um, but he does uh, notably leave out um, the very first attack. Suki goes, um, he has nothing to say about that, um, and he has no details about it. Um, as like sort of the RPG fantasy wraps up, 
uh, it, it sort of revealed that um, Kozuka is trying to find uh, an old woman uh, in the quote-unquote next world um, who can give them sort of the next clue. Um, and uh, Maniwa, uh, getting this idea, runs to sort of a, the homeless encampment in town uh, where they find the homeless woman from the first episode who witnessed uh, Sukiko's attack. Um, then I'll have the honor of doing episode six and episode seven. So I can do episode um, seven, so you don't have to do two in a row. Yeah, okay. Um, I can just explain the katakana thing when we get there, if you need me to. Um, so episode six, uh, fear of a direct hit. So a... It starts with sort of like news stories that there is a tsunami expected to hit the city. Um, and as this is happening, uh, Ikari and Maniwa go to question the uh, old homeless woman um, to try and find out what happened to the night that Tsukiko got hit. Um, the woman's being kind of vague and like talking about how she misses her daughter or granddaughter or whatever. Um, and Ikari starts getting really frustrated that she's not really giving them what he wants. Uh, and so he kind of goes bad cop, yells at her. Um, and finally she admits that she didn't see anyone there um, except for Tsukiko at the time of her supposed attack. Um, sort of interspersed throughout some of this, we are getting uh, scenes of this runaway teenager named Taiko. Uh, she is wandering through a the stormy city because uh, at this point the tsunami is fully hit um it kind of hits while they're talking to the old woman um and uh she s- seems like she's struggling with something wants to forget her past uh repeatedly getting phone calls from her father um and she kind of answers them coldly and says that uh she will destroy everything um and at one point like wishes that the the family home would would be destroyed or would collapse um, we also sort of get some shots of, uh, you know, how she used to adore her father. Um, a lot of the depictions of her father in these memories are kind of vague and hazy. Um, but as it goes on, it's revealed. Yeah. His face isn't shown or it's kind of from afar where you can't really make out the details. Um, but eventually it is revealed to be Hirokawa. Um, and uh, we see the part where they just moved to the new house that he had built. Um, and after being there for a little while, uh, she's going to try and do like a happy birthday message on um, like, I think it's like setting it as the, the wallpaper or something for his laptop um, and discovers a file uh, near the, com- the computer's recycle bin. Um, she goes and opens it up and finds photos of her undressing in her bedroom. Um, horrified, she smashes the furniture, um, you know, the like bookshelf around where, uh, would make sense for the camera angle in the photo and finds a camera hidden behind it. Um, meanwhile, as all of this story is happening, uh, we're seeing more of, um, the detectives doing their investigation. Um, and at this point they have gone to question Tsukiko and confront her with evidence of the truth, which is, uh, they went to the, the parking lot and found a bent pipe near the scene. Um, that, uh, I don't know if the old woman said this or if they just kind of found it and and put pieces together, but they claim is the weapon that she used to, uh, hit herself in the lake. Um, 
And at being confronted, uh, Tsukiko's kind of getting uh, increasingly, um, like... Distressed. Yeah, distressed. Uh, and she faints suddenly as if struck by an invisible bat. We kind of get the, her head uh, jerking suddenly, as well as like a picture on the, the wall, almost like fluttering as if, you know, a, a breeze from the swung bat. Um, and at that same time, uh, Tycho, also reaching the, the brink of despair in the storm, um, has just uh, seemingly contemplated suicide, jumping over into the river, um, wishes to become empty, and then Shonen Bat comes and attacks her and knocks her out again. Or knocks her out, like, at the same time um, as uh, Tsukiko being knocked out. Um, she wakes him the ho- up in the hospital uh, with her father, Hirokawa, and uh, he explains that their house was destroyed during the storm um, and basically says, like, oh, your desire for to destroy everything, to, like, bring the house down came true. Uh, and she just giggles and asks him, who are you? Uh, episode 7, Megahertz. Um, stylized just M-H-Z. Mm-hmm. After Taiko is attacked, while both Tsukiko and Kozuka have alibis, Maniwa considers the possibility of another shonen bat uh, and looks for connections between the victims in an attempt to pinpoint who will be next. Kozuka continues to protest that he's a holy warrior, uh, maintaining this like uh, fantasy frame that he's like insisting on. Um, but uh, when when Ikari like confronts him that the first attack. Um, when Ikari asserts his viewpoint that the first attack was a sham um, and that he's just a copycat who jumped on a bandwagon, um, Kozuka eventually admits that he only attacked Ushiyama and Hirokawa. Um, I don't know if this, like for me, it was unclear if Kozuka is like maintaining from the beginning that he like, for me, it seemed more like Kozuka's account is like consistent from the beginning um, right, that he is like, oh, these are who I attacked, and like, and when, and why, um, and it like omits uh, Skiko, um, but I guess there's like there is kind of ambiguity there, um, but nonetheless, Kozuka is agreeing like that he doesn't know anything about um, these other victims. Um, Miniwa gets more deeply involved as he finds nearly all of the victims uh, felt cornered and pressured by their lives. Um, and each one seemed relieved after being attacked. So he's starting to like draw this connection. Uh, Miniwa thinks it odd that Ushiyama was the only victim without any worries, seemingly, uh, and that Hirokawa's incident played out differently from the others. Uh, Ikari advises Miniwa to take some time off, um, kind of in this moment where um, Miniwa's like his obsession and his insistence on. Um, this other way of viewing the case has escalated. So he's like kind of raving um, in Ikari's office and Ikari is like, you need a vacation. Um, but uh, he does not take vacation. Uh, he continues to be troubled by dreams of an old man who we have seen throughout the series so far, um, both as a patient drawing math equations on the sidewalk, um, as well as metatextually as the next time on narrator who gives cryptic messages about the contents in the next episode. Um, also, I think he's appearing in this fantasy frame, um, like it, um, 
briefly. Oh. He's seen in like the fantasy world of like yeah. episode five. He's um, referred to as like the ancient master by yeah. by Kozuka. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like appearing throughout um, yeah. intermittently. And I believe he's the the old man who um, the the journalist uh, Kawazu like hit with his car. Oh yeah, I think I think you're right. Is that the same old man? Because that because that because that yeah, old man seems sure. like hospital bound, and this man roams. Yeah, but, oh, but this I, man but, is always but, but kind of like chilling the around the hospital. Yeah, yeah um, just kind of like maybe, roams around. Maybe we'll have this settled by next episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in one of these uh, dreams of Miniwa, uh, the old man reveals uh, that he can pass through walls and duplicate himself. Um, it, it's basically like Miniwa. Uh, dreams that he's in a magic show uh, where the old mm-hmm. man is a magician um, and the old man performs these tricks of going through walls um, and duplicating himself and ending with like everyone in the audience becoming um, the old man. Uh, Maniwa is then leaving the hospital, um, sees the old man writing equations on the sidewalk um, and notices uh, and it's it's prominently like displayed in the animation with the editing um, yeah it's like a little bit bolder for the characters too yeah that the uh katakana characters hirukawa are interspersed like throughout the equation uh spelling hirukawa um as maniwa becomes increasingly convinced that the victims are all um are connected by this uh their emotional state and psychological state um he scrambles to find out who um like who the next person is um who who is like having a nervous breakdown um and then fears it might be himself but uh then quickly realizes that it is kozuka um so he uh, implores ikari to trust him uh and to follow his intuition and they go late at night to check on kozuka in his cell and sure enough um when they arrive they witness shonen bat grinning at them uh, before fleeing by mysteriously passing through the solid prison wall. Uh, and then um, when they look into Kosuka's cell, they find that he's, he's dead. Uh, that's where we leave off. Hell yeah. For, yeah. I wanted to make sure we got in episode seven. Cause I feel like it's the big, like a very natural, like turning point. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I, I mean, uh, in my notes, um, you know, because the first six episodes have um, sort of like a like a sick manic quality to them. Um, there's like because you know you're watching each of these separate people sort of um, build their individual pressures up, you know, and then they explode by a little slugger sort of uh, making them a victim. Um, but seven feels like the hangover from that. Um, it's like the uh, like even the art is different. There's this really harsh lighting uh, that's that's. Um, in all of the shots and it really feels like sort of this, uh, this, uh, sick awakening, um, to what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One of, one of the things that I find, I I literally just thought of it now. Um, when you were, uh, when you were bringing up that point, but, um, one of the things that I find interesting about the show so far with the pacing is that, um, you have these like these individual arcs that are coming like so one after the other um where it is like this um building tension 
like the slow escalation um and then like the explosion is like deferred um because like you have the uh you know shonen bat assault which like right before or right on the verge of their like total breakdown or the explosion of this tension um it's like diffused by um the assault and in episode seven you have like in a way um the like escalation is not quite as linear um so like it does escalate but it has like um it's like choppier and it's uh and there's not like a clear direction of it feels like um like episode seven in its way feels like the tension feels a little bit manic um because it's like going up then down then up then down then up then down um in a way that the other episodes just like go up and then down um and yeah, i feel like also it, uh like the previous six episodes have formulaically introduced us to we are going to have a central character most of it is going to be about like their neuroses or like the pressures that they're dealing with the stuff that they're tr- struggling with watching that escalate and then it culminates with like that individual gets hit by shonen bat um and the the one like this one if you're following that formula it is Maniwa who should be hit. But he, like, has the building up tension of, I'm trying to figure out this case. Like, I I, I feel like there's something we're missing. There's, like, some piece I'm trying to put together. Um, I've hit on this, like, other idea of what could be going on. Um, and instead of it culminating with, he's just having a nervous breakdown about the case, he has a breakthrough. And because he has a breakthrough, then, that like, that is relieving his tension. Yeah, where and that's you even not have, where, like, just as a quick interjection, like you even yeah. have the like sequence of the Shonen Bat assault, like, like the pattern is repeated, but it's just like, uh, it's like deferred at the last second, right? Yeah. Like, he's like hallucinating it happening. He turns around and then Shonen Bat's like not there, so he doesn't get hit. Right. Um, so it's yeah. like breaking the pattern. Well, because with the with the other episodes, excepting the like the RPG episode, you get. Um, the same catharsis that each of the victims getting, right? Uh, you are free from Yuichi's um, uh, descent into like, I don't know, childhood psychopathy um, when he is struck by Little Slugger's bat. But yeah, in, in like you like you both are saying, in Seven, uh, you're stuck with the consequences. Like you have to watch Maniwa and Ikari get fired, um, which they, which, uh, you know, I think they expertly draw out here. Um, there's no freedom even from the viewer uh of the the consequences of actions here unlike in previous episodes yeah yeah i think um neve i know i interjected you were like midstream on a thought oh yeah sorry i interjected the instruction (laughs) (laughs) i've lost whatever sentence i had it's fine um Um, well the one thing i would add uh just like on this thought um like in episode seven you don't see the assault um so the assault, like the pattern is broken and like that, like cathartic moment, um, where that climactic moment is like, uh, denied or deferred. Um, but you see the immediate aftermath. Um, and I think it's notable that like the aftermath now is like that Kozuka is dead. 
Um, so yeah. it's an escalation of like the consequence. Um, but like it's, uh, and then you see them getting fired, but like, even though the consequence has been materially escalated, cause it's like someone dying, um, these characters getting fired, um, it's not tense anymore. Um, like it's horrific. Um, but it's like not tense. It's just like, um, this feeling of malaise. Um, yeah. and I think it's for the series and it's like portrayal of like, uh, mental illness, um, and like anxiety, like, uh, malaise like paranoia um i think it's actually really evocative of the way that like extreme anxiety is not just like always like this chest pounding uh like escalating um like linear experience but rather like there are times when you're like calm and you're just like saturated with like malaise um but you're calm. Um, it's not like, uh, like a thrilling, um, like type of experience, if that makes any sense. Um, it's like showing the different shades in, in a way it's like creating a much more, um, like realistic, I use that word loosely, um, but a much more like, um, layered, uh, portrayal of like, um, and a more evocative, like, uh, portrayal of, like, this atmosphere, um, that is so, like, thematically important. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that's, uh, interesting and important here, too, is, um, I think episode six makes this most explicit, but that often, like, the, the moment when Shonen Bat appears and strikes someone is also this moment where all the tension is building and you could see it leading to like the distress that they are under leads to suicide. Um, and you know, it's made most explicit by, um, psycho. Cause you see her actually like contemplating it and seemingly almost does it except that she sees the, the old woman, um, in the river, which didn't get noted in the synopsis, but her home gets destroyed. Um, she's in the river and that eventually gets fine and, and or found. And I, I think when um, Psycho's being like in the in the hospital after the attack, um, the old woman is also there, and like her, I think her granddaughter comes. Um, yes. So mm-hmm. um, she also kind of gets like reunited, even if we're not focusing as much on her character. Um, and so I think it is it is then like further intensified it and and um, made clear of like. Uh, in some ways, like Shonen Bat is this thing that is coming and is like enacting this, like, um, this violence that like lets off all of the, the pressure. Um, but not in this like, uh, self harm or like permanent suicidal way. Um, and the case where he like kind of gets subverted by, by Maniwa or like that cycle gets broken ends with like an actual death that is talked about, you know, we see that like the Shonen bat seems to have killed him and left, 
at least that's what you might believe. Um, but also it could genuinely be that like Kozuka killed himself. They go and find that and Shonen Bat just leaves. Um, and so it could be that like not in, in Shonen Bat being subverted, the suicide then actually happens um, mm. rather than like that being allowed to, um, to like cease. take its course, um, which I, I, I think is also um important because I think paranoia agent as a work is kind of engaged in like this idea about there are these rising suicide rates in, in Japan uh, that there's a lot of media, including like um, comically to some degree in 1998, there's a movie called suicide bus where a guy gets on a tour bus um, and is the one person who is not aware that everyone else on there made a suicide pact um, because they're like families all need money for some reason. And so they're Mm. like all going to go drive off a cliff uh, so that the family can like the families can collect life insurance. Um, And, you know, in 2001, uh, just a few years before this, is uh, Suicide Circle or Suicide Club, um, which is a movie that's like all about trying to deal with and think about the the uh, what's causing the rising suicide rates um, in Japan, especially among youth, um, and also talking about these themes of like, although in, in uh, stylistically very different ways, um, but of like social phenomenon and um alienation and like pressures that exist in society like repression yes um which is a big um obviously a major theme um that's called out like multiple times yeah um in paranoia agent um i feel like there's so in a way like you both have the advantage of knowing the whole arc of the show. Um, and as like often happens, uh, when Neve and I do this and Neve like knows the, the whole arc of the show, um, like there are things that like, I feel like there are themes that are being developed. Um, and I can see like the connections between them. Um, of course I don't know where they go. (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I would say the themes that you're picking up on and that we've already talked about are still like the what the show's about. Yeah, this is this is I think the like funniest example of this was um, when we did 08th MS team. And I genuinely I do think in a way that I never contemplated before that the change in directors like vastly changed what that show was about between yeah. um, the the two halves of the that OVA season. Um, but, or like season loosely. Um, but yeah, that, that was definitely the funniest, but there are some times where you'll, you'll pull up stuff and I'm like, eh, yeah, I guess it's doing that. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't really, it doesn't really go yeah. there. Though. Um, I, I feel like, uh, Paranoia Agent is, is pretty good at like telegraphing its themes and what it's about. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way where I like, yeah, none of the stuff we've talked about, I I don't think is going to. Um, you still don't know how it concludes, but like none of it is drastically off base for where the series is going. Yeah, um, well, that's good to know. Um, so, like, with that in mind, um, I'm just gonna like 
with no like discernible order, I'm just going <laughs> to start talking about like, you know, what, um, what, uh, I noticed. Um, one of the things that was interesting, um, like in the first episode when I was watching it, um, like right away I put down phones. Um, and, uh, because you have that scene like on the subway, um, where like literally oh, yeah, everyone intro is on montage. Their phone. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Literally everyone is on their phone. Um, they're like seemingly everyone is in like a state of distress. Um, and, uh, like, and then phones, uh, continue to be, um, I'm thinking with like Taiko and, um, Hirokawa, um, Maria and Harumi, um, phones continue to be like a very, uh, seemingly very important symbol. Yeah. Um, and I do think me, it's important that in that opening montage, um, it's not purely like it's cause you be on them phones. You're like talking to someone on the phone and not the person standing next to you. But that's so much of the, the conversation that we're overhearing is right. like, um, yeah, yeah, I'll get that to you tomorrow or it's distressed. Yeah. It, it's all distressed. And it, most of it is around like people have expectations of me often work is the focus of a lot of those conversations. Um, like it, it feels more, it feels less about just like people are on their phones and talking uh, or doing stuff online instead of paying attention to the people around them. And like, no phone means that you take work with you everywhere. Now it means that yeah. you are commuting to work and you're working. Um, you are, well, you are like at home or you were like sitting in a cafe and you are working because people from work are contacting you on your phone and you're like, well, now I have to talk to my boss about like, you know, how that account's doing or whatever. I don't know what people with accounts do, but <laughs> I've never had an account. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone um, loves to say, uh, that account <laughs> in, in TV shows and movies. So, yeah. Well, and, and not to like pony off your point too hard, Connor, but like, I, I think that montage is so great too, because like the conversations that people are having, um, is like the little, little slugger. Like they are using, like the phone has become this tool for them to get, this momentary brief, um, you know, through the use of excuses or whatever, this momentary release of pressure, right? Social pressure. Um, and so uh, the the onslaught of like imagery of the of this phone being used as a sort of tool to um, be able to constantly be communicating this uh, sort of evasion of responsibility of this evasion of, um, you know, whatever's uh, weighing on their mind at that moment, uh, through, you know, through the use of excuses or, you know, you get the sense that some of these people are, straight up lying to whoever we're talking to. <laughs> yeah. um, you can sort of see like the collective unconscious soup that like a grand escape from expectation that, you know, that in these seven episodes we've seen little slugger to be, you can sort of see how that arises from this sort of collective unconscious here. Yeah. And I think um, I agree that like, this is a very important um, like sequence um positioned as it is um for me like what it made me think of is the way that phones uh especially like as they're presented here um become this incredibly like ambiguous symbol um and also like a site of extreme tension uh because they're simultaneously like figuring connection and separation um mm -hmm. in the way that like for the montage we're talking about, um, all of these people, I don't think it is accidental that, um, 
like the impression you get is of all of these people being isolated from one another. Um, and like to, to a degree, like, um, alienated from one another in the sense that they're like not even acknowledging each other, um, uh, or attempting to. Um, but they're also like all connected to other people at the same time this is happening. Um, so they're occupying this like tense middle space. Um, and then that tension is further like confirmed by the tenor of the conversations. Um, not only like the din <laughs> of the sound design when it's yeah. like overlaying all of these tense co- and like fragmentary conversations that you can't like fully discern. Um, and that also are like, you know, themselves like tense. Um, uh, but also just like, um, again, like the content, um, that, that you can discern is like, you know, all of the things that, that you two have pointed out. Um, so, uh, I felt like this scene really, um, it stood out to me and especially, um, as the series went on with like the way phones continue to be like this ubiquitous, um, symbol. Um, and, uh, I think it really sets the stage for like the larger themes of, um, like social malaise and repression. Um, and like this weird, um, tension around like interconnectedness, like social interconnectedness. Um, cause it's like in this state of flux where, um, you like you are and you aren't. Um, and that has all of these implications for like, um, like identity, uh, individuals identity, um, and like relationships between individuals, um, that I feel like are, uh, can, like continuing to emerge and be like one of the propelling factors, um, for the, like the, the conflict of the plot. Um, if that makes sense. No, totally. And, um, I mean, I would say with the exception of, um, you know, Hirokawa who, uh, you know, isn't like a true little slugger victim. He's a Kozuka victim. Um, everything that everybody's like, everybody who's like a true victim is also in like an impossible position, right? Like it's not Yuichi's fault that everyone thinks he's little slugger because he has the same like stupid skates. Um, <laughs> there, there, there's nothing that Tsukiko hey, there, can do. They're super nice skates. I feel like <laughs> I would, I would wear I those never, skates. Never, never me. Uh, but I like I um you know there's nothing Tsukiko can do there's nothing that Harumi can do to like fix their problems um there's nothing that like like uh, like Taiko Tsukiko Harumi none of uh, Yuichi there's no like way out for them that they can do under their own power um so, so yeah um there's just this way that that society is sort of uh, puppeteering them into like greater and greater despair yeah. Um, and one thing I, this is like a little theory. So I, I had notes where I wrote out the different characters because I think that's like a key focal point for the series and for how I think about it, at least at this point. Um, and so we can go through like different characters if we have thoughts, but going off, to, uh, going off a point that you brought up because, um, you know, part of what like Maniwa is saying is like, oh, um, Shonen Bat can, like, appear multiple places at the same time. 
what happened was like uh, Tsukiko and Taiko get head at the same time. Um, and my like little pet theory or like I, I think this is mostly just because I think it's an interesting thing to think about is that there are actually like four victims of Shonen Bat at that moment. But two of them are represented through like a destruction of a, a space rather than themselves being hit. Um, because at the same time that Tsukiko and Psycho are being hit, the Hirokawa home is destroyed and also the old woman's home is destroyed. Um, all of this sort of happens in this tsunami, which is like this huge outpouring of like destructive power. Um, and it is after the home is destroyed and Hirokawa is there and also like sees that he has like fully lost this girl who would identify with him as her father that he also then seems to like, he, he becomes like also tranquil and tranquil, like psycho. And we'll just see him like sitting there while she's just swinging and he's just like sitting there. Um, he finally seems to get relief from the loss of the home and from the loss of like this, um, actual like strained and difficult relationship that he had with his daughter. Um, and now everything has just been like sanded away, uh, or blown away by the, the tsunami, I guess. Um, uh, slugged and, by proxy is what yes. you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and similarly, like the old woman's home being destroyed and her being washed away, lands her in the hospital where then she gets reunited with her daughter. Um, and so like, she also kind of benefits from this, this moment of destruction and like loss of her normal way of life. Um, and so I th- what I think is interesting about that, and we'll see if this plays out in later episodes, but it's like this broadening out of um, Shonen Bat from just like this direct, like the individual gets hit to other forms of like destruction that disrupt your daily life and like provide that relief from all of the pressures that exist in your daily life, which in some ways makes sense with uh, Hirokawa because so much of his episode is about like the expectations of manhood being to like support and protect your family. Like you are, su- you are not supposed to be physically there for the family and you are supposed to like give them a safe home and stuff like that. And of course he, he fails utterly at this both in like the, that the home that he buys is a home Destroyed. bought with, um, you know, money that is like greatly at risk and, and puts the family at risk, but also in the way that he is like deeply traumatically exploiting his daughter, um, mm. completely failing at like the actual role, uh, of, um, father as like a protector and rather like, identifying with this like sexual role of of daddy um yeah and all of that kind of just gets washed away with the tsunami rather than like that is stuff that like being hit in the head would not fix um which i think is also interesting because we don't get a lot of uh kawazu the the um journalist yeah the journalist where getting hit doesn't solve his problems nearly in the same way that it, it more like the one who it solves it most cleanly for is Yuichi. Like, yeah, <laughs> well, right. it's like, yeah, everything is, everything is like cleared up now. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Just real quick. When he was like, God, I wish Ushiyama would get hit. I'm like, that's worse child. Yeah. That is, that's the worst thing to want. <laughs> Extreme <Yeah>. child logic. <laughs> right. For um, um, I think like, the the point that you made 
um, about Hirokawa and like the role that he's identifying with. Um, mm-hmm. I think the show has a very interesting, like, and rich um, framing, and also I would I would say critique of like the way that um, like individuals form their identity within like the social context um, and the way that like uh, the role that archetypes um, and like, uh, like by extension um, like social norm or social expectation, like the role that that plays in like uh, identity formation of individuals um, and how like it, you know, creates these, this like tension um if like the larger framework is uh is fucked up um which i think the show might be might be like yeah it's a little fucked up um uh i think um also related to a point i just want to bookmark this because i don't have a clean reading of it yet um but the way that you were um this like distru- the shonen bat phenomenon the expanded phenomenon um that you're describing i think the show has a very complex treatment of like the concept of victimhood um i feel like that's a very uh important like theme as well um yeah. that i am not like unless we do it in the course of this conversation um i don't have like a clean read or like a uh, comprehensive interpretation um but I think, like, just the idea of victimhood um, and, like, its social and psychological, um, like, uh, valences or, like, associations um, and the way that it operates is uh, really important um, f- for this show as well. Yeah. Which, I mean, it gets set up early on with... Um... Kawazu, where I think in that first episode, he's like, well, I'm like the real victim for having hit that old man, because now, like, I'm on the hook for all this money and stuff. Like, if you think about it, I'm the victim here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I think that stuff gets, like, developed throughout a lot of these. Yeah. I'm also sorry, this is something that you said earlier, Neve. I, I was, because I mean, Kawazu is sort of, like, the least um... I mean, he's one of the least less sympathetic, but he's also one of the least like revisited victims. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I and I, I think he does sort of side with. I mean, this is just is, I'm absolutely making fan fiction, but like he, <laughs> I, I think his like quote unquote benefit, you know, because um, all of the all of the victims do are are freed from their societal obligation, um, one way or the other, and like I, I feel like Kawazu's is that um, he has the story because he's now part of the story. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. he's, yeah, I mean, I, I don't believe they ever, like, show him doing this, but he can now um, give the story, you know, that'll make him the money that he needs or whatever, because he's now become the story. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, I know, like, the the one, I mean, I already talked a little bit about the stuff with Hirokawa and Taiko. Um, there's definitely more I can talk about with Taiko, but also, I know I'm personally interested in, like, Harumi and Maria. Um, but I don't know if there's other characters people want to talk about or other things you want to get into first. Yeah, so no, go for it. Um, there's, there's one thing that I want to like, um, like frame up first because um, 
I think it makes sense to like do this before we um, like go into the the deeper characterization. Um, so like the um, the theme of identity, uh, the way that it's developed was really interesting to me. Um, where like. Um, I feel like it's at the core of a lot of these, um, the character arcs. Um, so with Ichi, like, you know, he's the shonen protagonist. I think you called this out in your notes as well. Um, yeah, the Gundam appears as a symbol and the, the Gundam protagonist being like the special boy who has special powers and can do every, you know, mm-hmm. is the new type in like classic Gundam stuff. Yeah. The, the classic like hero, um, and to the extent that he like identifies himself um, in the dialogue, like as as this, um, he says a hero would never be defeated by this um, when he's trying to like uh, keep a stiff upper lip, um, as you said yeah. earlier. Um, well, and his nickname to Ichi, which is yeah number, number one. one, yeah. Um, so uh, of course this is tying in to like uh, the the point I made earlier about um, how like fiction and archetype. Um, plays in um but the way that this develops is interesting um because his identity is like stripped from him uh due to like the shonen bat phenomenon um because like all of the external markers of his identity um are essentially like duplicated by shonen bat um and then given a different meaning um so he like loses his identity because of um like the perception, the perception of others, uh, of him changes. Um, and when his identity is like stripped from him, uh, there is like this crisis of identity. Um, and he suffers this like alienation and paranoia and then like descends into violence, uh, essentially. Um, this then like, this sets up a pattern, um, that has like variations in the other characters. Um, so with like Harumi and Maria, um, I won't go too deep into, into this. Cause I know you have like, uh, in an, like a discussion you want to do. Um, but, uh, unlike Ichi, like her identity isn't, uh, it's not like stripped or challenged by the changing perception of others. It's not like an external, uh, movement. It's like an internal movement. Um, between like two, uh, literally two different identities, uh, that are contained within her. Um, although I, when I talk about it, I'll talk about how I think that this is also that, uh, Cohen here is using dissociative identity disorder, but to talk about like external identities that are, are put on women broadly and not just like this one character. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think as far as like unpacking this, um, and actually like what it's conveying, I, I think you're, um, I have a sense of what you're going to, to bring up because I, I read your notes. Um, yeah. I think you're spot on, <laughs> um, but just like, uh, just literally like in a, uh, a sense of like plot uh, in a patterning sense. Uh, um, yeah. you have like, uh, the way it's set up is like two, uh, different, uh, identities internally. Um, and then she's shifting between them and like taking on, 
um, dressing differently, like taking on the external, um, like markers of, uh, that identity, um, subsequently. Um, and then Hirokawa, uh, is almost like a reverse of this, um, where Hirokawa has a split life, um, where he's like ostensibly the same person. Um, like the Yakuza know him as Hirokawa, his family knows him as Hirokawa. Um, he's not like, uh, a different person, um, like on the surface. Um, and also but like he, experientially for himself. Exactly. Um, so he's like, uh, attempting, like, he is the same person in both spheres, but he's attempting to maintain like different identities in terms of behavior. Um, like, oh, I can act like, when he goes to the Yakuza, he need, he knows he needs to act in like a certain way, or he can't act in a certain way. Um, like he behaves differently in the two different spheres, but he is still like the the one person of Hirokawa. Um, and then in his arc, like we see this just breakdown. Um, uh, so I feel like this. Um, and then like, I think this is also happening. We could extend this out to the other characters as well. Um, but like the patterning that's happening is like this crisis of identity um, for each of the characters. Um, and it's centered around like, um, or like the dynamic is either like some splitting um, or some like merging um, or some loss um, or like taking on something that you don't want. Um, and right. right. Yeah, and like the the dissolution that is like following from um whatever like static state they start in is like a conflictual state that then like breaks down basically. Well well right because for all of um like the like the you know quote unquote true slugger victims so not Ushikawa and um uh here or um Ushiyama and uh, Hirakawa. So um, this kind of, because I, you know, I, I do think it's, uh, I mean, the, it, it's interesting from an investigational standpoint that there is a copycat at all, right? That there yeah. even is a Kozuka period. Um, yeah. Because, uh, because like it, it does draw the distinction between um, uh, Ushi and Hirakawa from the rest. Um, and I um, totally agree with what you're saying, Connor, because all of like the, the true slugger victims um, there, they struggle with this identity that is either formed or given to them by society, the society around them, whether it's their family unit or society at large. Um, and then their undoing is um, failing or, or being crushed under the pressure of that same society. Right. So like that, like that sort of duality that, um, that I, that, you know, I, I feel um, you're, you're talking about I, that. That was sort of the lens that I was looking at it through was a sort of like, um, um, Sukiko is is I mean whether she wanted the status or not she's elevated to the status of superstar artist uh, but it yeah. also is the thing that crushes her it's what summons a uh, little she's like in the completely first place. completely alienated from yeah. it yeah um I mean Yuichi didn't become like a psychotic little child all on his own right he was constantly validated by his class and by his parents and whatever um and so he's all like these people are given on, these he's like taking yeah. on this like image of like the shonen protagonist. Hundred percent, and and so like they get like cracked by that same uh, societal pressure that made them in the first place. Um, yeah, yeah. 
What if Shonen Bat is a standalone complex? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. I, think that, I think that's where we're going with this. Um, we're just going to tie this back to Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're right. <laughs> I, mean, there, I feel like yeah. Little Slugger could easily be an episode of Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> there, there are 100%. definitely moments where, the, you know, towards the end where, like, Mani was talking about, like, you know, or they're, like, talking about, like, copycats and, like, a copycat of a, of, like, attack that never even happened. And I'm like, ah, oh, yes, Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. Well, yeah. I, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but Mari was giving Togusa vibes the whole show. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, we got the Absolutely. same actor to play both, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> not like voice actor, but like... Yeah, the same guy. The same yeah. live action guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Um, but yeah, so we get this like, um, s- almost like saturation of like, splitting, mirroring, copying like opposites like symbolism um that's just like continuing like to be extremely prominent um and i think it's like related to this um to to this like dynamic that we're talking about um so i just wanted to call that out as like a thing that um again really stood out to me um and i feel like it it seems important (laughs) yeah um, I can do my little thing about Harumi and uh, Maria if y'all are fine with that. Yeah, go on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I, like you know, obviously in, in the text of the show, this is uh, dissociative identity disorder, but the the two identities um, are kind of clearly symbolic of this like broad crisis in femininity that many women have to struggle with, which is that um, Harumi is like the trad wife. Um, that's like what she's trying to embody. She's, she's the good, uh, Japanese woman who is quiet and, um, you know, smart, but also not like looking above her place. Like she, she's kind of happy, uh, being this research assistant and like becoming a a wife and things like this. Oh, to Um, the most bland man alive. Yes. (laughs) I hate that guy Um, so much. In this like, like sexless relationship. Yeah. Although, to be honest, despite, like, being uh, conventionally attractive, I, Harumi as an individual is also pretty bland. Um, this is a thing that I think oh, totally. is interesting in the, yeah. the portrayal here, which is that she, in comparison to Maria, seems to, like, even though as Maria has costumes, Harumi seems to be so much more of a costume. Both, like, the way that she carries herself is very um, controlled, is very limited, um, she, she doesn't do a lot of, yeah, her posture is very like, uh, stiff and contained. Um, and she basically always wears the same damn dress. Um, in the, in this way that like, I know happens in anime, but I'm just a person who loves like shoujo and Jose stuff where I'm just like, when people don't draw characters in different outfits and it's not like a detective who just wears a suit all the time. I'm like, what the fuck? That person will wear different clothes. <laughs> have you yes. ever, have you like ever to seen be fa- normal people? To anyway. be fair, it's the best dress in her closet. Cause we get a lot <laughs> of is. shots of her closet. <laughs> all the rest are worse. As, yeah. as someone who wears the same clothing, like every day. I'm we choosing get it. You're, not to. You're a cis straight man. <laughs> I'm choosing not to be offended by this. <laughs> um, yeah, Connor's wardrobe is just 
like black and gray shirts and black and gray pants or just black pants. I think you sometimes had a gray shirt. Um, uh, I, w- I wear, I wear blue. I wear jeans. I wear bl- blue okay. and black jeans. Are and they graphic like, tees, <laughs> Connor? Yeah. Uh, not really. I have, a, <laughs> I've got a couple. I don't really wear graphic tees. Um, um, I've started to like, I've started to experiment a little bit with graphic tees. Um, yeah. In the, in the, Fat past few months, but yeah, it's, it's not really my Italian. comfort zone. Uh, yeah. uh, Twenty twenty three is your pattern era. I see that for you. <laughs> mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, and so so Harumi is like this, like very uh, like extremely. Here is a specific role, and I'm just like fulfilling it, and that's like all that she seems to be. Uh, aside from, I'm also dealing with this other identity I have as uh, Maria. Maria obviously is the other end of like the kind of roles that women are often given. Um, and it's, it's this like sexual being role. She is the, the one who the has Madonna sex in a horror. way that like, yeah, it is like hard to imagine Harumi doing. Yeah. It is the Madonna in horror or like virgin in horror. Um you know, dichotomy happening here. Uh, and obviously they're like embodying it to an extremes. Um, I think for intentional effect here, but what's also interesting is that means that, um, the, the way that Maria is depicted is just so much more. Like we see lots of different clothes. We see different hair. Um, her animations are so much more lively. Um, she has so much more like personality, even as this figure who, um, we're mostly seeing the episode from Harumi's point of view. And so we don't get like as much interiority and as much like screen time with Maria, but whenever she appears, she's just like so much, she feels like so much more of a character. Um, yeah. Even as like the disembodied, like answering machine voice. Yes. Yeah. There's, there's so much more like uh personality to the way she speaks even. Um, and so I think there's like a certain amount to which like that sexual being, even if we, we might say it's taken to this extreme of, um, you know, en- engaging in like this sex work and everything, which I mean, sex workers, you're cool in my book, but I, I think that the, the series is at least viewing it to some degree as like a taking of sexual liberation to like an extreme level. Um, I, mean, I, I think they say in the next episode, I mean, like, it seems voluntary for Maria, but I think yeah. it implies that she's, like, in, like, a human trafficking ring. Like, yeah. like, they, like they mentioned that in Hirakawa's episode, and I, I guess I just assumed that that included Maria. Or at the at the very least, she's, like, under... Whether or not she the pressure is, like, material is yeah. unclear, but she's under some, like, pressure from the... Like, yeah. Yeah establishment um, she's working with and of course like beyond like the the broader sex work there's there's lots of exploitation that exists within sex work um yeah. there's a lot of sex work that is not like fully consensual um especially with the way that it is like currently structured and um left to like underground criminal organizations in most cases and things but anyway she is still kind of like embodying a more liberatory um, existence. Uh, and it also kind of interestingly that throughout their story, um, 
she only seems to become like truly ag- aggressive towards Harumi when Harumi starts throwing out her things and doing all these things to try to like get rid of her and, and push her out. Um, and like, we don't see Maria throwing anything away until after Harumi has already tried to throw away all of her stuff. And the main thing that we see is just the, the heart necklace, which is this like symbol of the marriage that would tie them both down. Um, also like the way that the psychiatrist talks about things is more like, Oh, like Maria wants you to be happy and like, you should try to, you know, it's far more like the goal is not to get rid of, but rather to like find a way to yeah reconcile it and like have some sort of uh, healthy relationship with this other identity. Um, But she is like, Hermes just so like repressed and uh, trying to control things and yeah, hostile. Um, And that's like what really escalates things. Yeah. which I, I think is just a, like, what becomes interesting there is that I think in some ways, when when Shonen Bat strikes, it feels more like he is hitting Harumi than Maria. Um, that in some ways, like, Maria's existence is already more aligned with, like, what Shonen Bat represents to some degree, which is this, like, um, giving up of, like, your social obligations to do, like, things that you would want to do. Um, again... Taken to extremes, uh, it's not full. It's not uncomplicated by the show. Um, yeah, but sure. it, it's really like Harumi, who who is the one at the this like limit, um, and is the one who who seems freed by Shonen Bat in that like we don't really see her. We don't see Maria again after she gets hit. Um, I don't believe. Because uh, when when we see her in the Hirokawa episode, that is like before everything. Because stuff is kind of told out of time. Mm-hmm. Um, um, sorry, I'm uh, sorry. I cut you off. Go ahead. My head of thought. No, it's, <laughs> it's um, fine. You. I, 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 I mean, broadly. I mean, broadly, what I was going to say is um, that's interesting. Like, I mean, maybe I'm misunderstanding what you're saying, but I definitely feel like. Um, uh, Maria is slugged. I mean, and, and and that is just what you said that Maria doesn't show up again. Um, it seems like because, because, you know, I I think it's clear as day to anybody watching that, um, uh, Harumi needs to not be Harumi and she needs to not be Maria, right? She needs to be both of these people, um, in, in, in whatever rich mixture that creates. Um, and, and so, but like, uh, post slug, uh, Harumi just seems like Harumi, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's it, it that it's it's sort of an interesting because I also think that Harumi's probably one of my favorite characters in the show because there's like a richness to her like um social identity construction issue um because it's it does seem like um what she, like what societal pressure she's um struggling with isn't necessarily, I mean, in a way it is because, you know, we define our identities by society around us, but like she's struggling more with herself than any of the other victims. Yeah. Um, and it seems like, yeah, uh, when she is uh, hit, um, she loses the desire to be adventurous, to go out and have fun. Um, that like to... Maria is dying when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, it's, it's just interesting, you know, because it doesn't, yeah. because like you would think, I would think the easy answer to being slugged is that Harumi relaxes, right? She becomes a person who like embraces, uh, it finds healthy outlets for all of her impulses, right? Like, you know, and on some level, she's a girl who wants to go out and party sometimes. Um, but it seems like at the end, she's just regular Harumi, which, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, but I mean, but that's her desire, right? Like her desire isn't to become to embrace all sides of herself. She wants to just be this one side. Yeah. Um, well, and like, I don't think that, I don't think for any of the characters that like being hit by, by Shonen Bat is necessarily coming to like the actual good resolution of like the problems and internal mental like illness that people are struggling with. Yeah, like Tycho um, being well, like having amnesia yeah. or whatever, you know. Well well right. But um, but it, it's like a, a a release in the way that like in that moment you just want like to be free of this current issue. Not in like a constructive way, but like I just don't want to be mentally ill anymore. Or I right. just don't want to have to like deal with this debt on my house anymore. Or Right. Well <laughs> um, no, totally. I, I mean and it's interesting that like um Yuichi and Sukiko, whose like issues are more external, right? From like out- outside pressures. Um it almost seems when they're when they're slugged that like they are set free from these problems and it's like an objective freeing right but then when you look at like taiko and um harumi there's this distinct point of view in that they got their wish but at what cost yeah um and, and so it's interesting that like that shift in perspective sort of shifts what exactly um the slugging is doing I'm going to keep saying slug. I like it. <laughs> oh, it's great. I love it. Um, it's got so much, like, it, it's got that onomatopoeia, like, yeah. <laughs> to it, which I love. Um, yeah, I think, Neve, um, your, like, I think your framing is, like, is spot on. Um, and what's interesting about it, um, and this might just be reiterating some of what you're saying, but, like, um, I feel like there's a way that, um, so Maria is often saying like, oh, you know, I just want to like have fun. Like, this is me having fun. Like, this is me like, you know, being able to, I want to engage in this like other form of sexuality. That's not just like completely constricted and defined by like this traditionalist, um, like patriarchal, um, paradigm, um, but it is also so like um predetermined like harumi's like identity crisis and her possibilities i think this is part of what like the exaggeration is is doing is like her possibilities are so predetermined by like this madonna madonna horror paradigm that like maria like if she wants to have like you know, even like if she wants to have like fun and like not like a monogamous like married sexuality, then she's like, like in a way, like, oh, then her only option becomes like sex work. Um, because that's like yeah. the only option that like society is going to allow, like for female sexuality. Um, like that is not like just this other option, which is like, you know, Harumi. Um, where it's like 
the sexless marriage because sexuality is so like her sexuality is so like constrained to the point of like erasure um by this paradigm and so she's like uh you know in essence like trapped and the 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 force of the splitting is like um like i agree like externally imposed um and one of the things that is like troubling about um the arc is like the psychiatrist is like advocating this uh reconciliation um yeah but i think for me watching it it's like within the context of of the show i think it's highly questionable that like a reconciliation is even possible um like it's hard to imagine like well right like oh um, like no. she goes and tells her husband and then like this <laughs> yeah, this wife as Maria man alive by yeah. the way i have another personality who's a sex worker <laughs> Right. Well, and, and I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying because, I mean, this is sort of um, a chicken and the egg situation, right? Like, I mean, society yeah. does have this dichotomous relationship with how women are allowed to express sexuality. Like, you can be trad or you can be a sex worker, and those are the two things. But, like, I mean, um, Harumi is also limited herself, right? Like, those are the two things to be. So, like, she, uh, I, I agree that there's no way a reconciliation could ever happen um, because she's already predetermined that there's only two incompatible solutions. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so it's like external and internal are, it, it's hard to tell which one start like the chicken and the egg sort of thing. Yeah. Like her, you know, um, her internal response is like, uh, well, I mean, there's two, <laughs> um, because there's the splitting, right? So, uh, and then like the, the, dist- the immediate distress is like, um, the distress of the splitting um, and like wanting to preserve, uh, you know, wanting to align with like, you know, this traditional paradigm or whatever and live this life. Um, but then like not being able to because, you know, the other part of herself won't just go away. Um, and then uh, like, yeah, the the pressure release is just like, oh, no, no, now we're just freeing you to like, or we're freeing you to like just mm-hmm. be completely absorbed into this paradigm. Um, but I think like there is, um, there is like a very rich, uh, like critique happening here, um, about like, um, agency and like alienation, alienation from the body, um, as well. Um, like the question of sexuality. So um, Harumi, like from Harumi's perspective, Maria, like using her body to like do this sex work or engage in these like sexual acts that she doesn't, she's not consenting to um, is like representative of like Harumi's um, or like in a way rep- related to Harumi's alienation from her own sexuality, which is like manifesting for Harumi and like the sexlessness of her, um, you know, of this this side that she's on, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, but my my quick aside: if people want another work that does interesting exploration about how women. Uh, feel like they can only fulfill 
the role of like the the trad wife who's like generally pure and sexless or the like sex loving slut or whore and how that opens up women for uh abuse and being put into uh terrible situations read the manga nana anyway moving on (laughs) (laughs) uh hold on Um, neve are you a fan of the manga nana uh yes i am (laughs) (laughs) Um, i know i hardly ever talk about it so you've literally never posted about it yeah I don't talk about it on, like, basically every podcast that I'm on now. Yeah, I I definitely didn't know that. Um, So that's cool. Cool to know. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Do we... Uh, Speaking of, did we ever decide what... Did you decide on something else to do for for our uh, New Year special, Connor, or are we just doing Nana? Yeah, so... I don't mind doing that. Save yourself, Connor. Set yourself free. Um, <laughs> this is your chance. I, this is your I, agency, Connor. I am masochistic enough to not mind doing Nana. Um, but well, and I'm I'm gonna like like underline that joke with being like I I enjoy, I'm like gonna enjoy our coverage of Nana. Like it it's not it's not painful in in the least. Um, yeah. but. So I'm fine with it, but the thing is, we already have Nana on the schedule for Ghost Divers. Like we're already covering oh. Nana, you know. Um, yeah, that's so- the anime. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but like, can you can you honestly say that we're not going to end up reading the manga and or discussing the manga when we do that? So so here's the thing: the is- answer is no. We are going to discuss it, but the next... So, if we don't do it for this New Year special, I'm doing it for the next one. But the next one would come out after we watched all of the anime. And I would rather that you had just watched... Or that you had read all of Nana before we get to the anime. Um, because I just... Having watched the anime, like I don't know how to talk about it without talking about how it's like adapting stuff from the manga and, and dealing with the manga. Okay. Um, so... Um... With that in mind, like let's do Nana, um, okay, <laughs> because I think that works. Um, yeah, and then next next one, uh, will just be like my pick. Yeah, and um, my tentative pick, which I, I reserve the right to change, um, but I think I will probably want to do Brazil, the Terry Gilliam film. Okay. Oh. Um, uh, but, that is a movie that was done on swim fans. It was. Oh, really? It was, it was brought by Eric, right? Uh, no, we have, um, uh, a Christmas tradition of doing movies that have like Christmas in them, but aren't Christmas movies. Oh, mm-hmm. um, which is why, which is well, why I got Craig and Alex to do Tokyo Godfathers this past Christmas. Um, and, um, I think Brazil was two years ago. Cause I think last, the year before Tokyo Godfathers what? was a uh, girl with the dragon tattoo. Wait, uh, do you yeah. think that Tokyo Godfathers is uh Chris is not a Christmas movie, it just has Christmas in it? Um I think it is I think Christmas is in there but n- it's not a Christmas movie, <laughs> Neve. It uh, it is so much about like the Christmas miracle to me. There's I, so much themes around like uh the idea of like a virgin birth and like the trans woman wanting to have a daughter and the like having the experience of like this family developing wait 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 hold on hold on this non-traditional family developing around a child i just had to open my my anyway. second beer 
No, no, keep going. I think, keep going. No, no, I, 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 I'm not disputing anything you're saying, but I also think you can have um, allusions to things and it still not be that like a Christmas movie. I mean, it ends with a Christmas miracle. It ends with <laughs> a Christmas this miracle is, saves a baby from falling off a building. I, I don't know how to tell you that it's not the same thing. Like, I'm, there are miracles and there are Christmas solutions. It's not a Christmas movie. I, I just think it's a Christmas movie. It, it is about so much more than that. Well, yeah, but a good Christmas movie is not just about how Christmas is a good holiday. Really? I'm not have even you seen a Christian. A, have, you, I don't, have you ever seen a Christmas movie? Every yes. Christmas movie is about how Christmas is a good holiday. No, the good ones are about other things. Which one? Um, What's the that one about, like, don't kill yourself? Oh yeah, that. Which one, one is that, Neve? <laughs> <laughs> so, a, a note here is that I am not a Christian. Uh, I don't care that much about um, like Christmas movies in it, the the full sense, but there there are so many Christmas movies that are not just about Christmas as a fun holiday. Like a Hallmark Christmas movie, yes, that is all that it is about. I would I, love to hear even I one. I just Googled Christmas movie, and in the list of Christmas movies that Google returned to me is Tokyo Godfathers. Yeah, okay, mm. Neve, but if you go through that same list, people will list Die Hard. Have you I don't ever think seen... Die Hard is a Christmas movie, but it does operate as a Christmas movie in that it is a, uh, a movie that... There's different ways that people talk about Christmas movies, which is that there are Christmas movies okay, but, that are no, no, movies no, you're that having you your, You're having your cake and eating it, too, at, with the same point. Have you all ever seen um, Eight Crazy Nights with Adam Sandler? Oh, the animated one? No, I've not seen it. Oh, yeah. That's like, that's a Christmas movie that's not about Christmas. Um, you, you should watch it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that. I feel like just like one viewing of Eight Crazy Nights would just settle this today. I don't know how, but I just really feel strongly that if we all sat down and watched Eight Crazy Nights with Adam Sandler... We, um, we we could heal society's pressures. We would we would like have we would be able to agree afterwards uh, about this issue. <laughs> um, um. So yeah, Brazil's a good movie, Connor. <laughs> oh, good. Brazil I'm, I'm is not like a Christmas it. movie, but I think that Tokyo Godfathers is a Christmas movie. I disagree. Um. Am I? Should I just let you all just keep going? No, I I think that was a good place to end it. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> um, I'm I'm enjoying this. Um, so, uh, all right, it's are a we wonderful good on life the... is a Christmas movie that is not just about Christmas. Oh, that's the one. Don't kill yourself. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but th- that that took you so long to come up with one because I know you ran through Rudolph. I know you ran through like the Charlie Brown Christmas. I know you ran through every other Christmas movie that anybody ever talks about <laughs> to find one that wasn't just about Christmas. No, that was the one that I was thinking of. I was just trying to to land on it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a wonderful life. Alt title, Don't Kill Yourself. <laughs> uh, Maybe don't kill yourself. Yeah. That's the that was like the European release. That was the, the trend <laughs> that's the transliteration of the the uh, European release title. Meet Me in St. Louis is a Christmas movie. It's literally where we get Have Yourself a Little Christmas from. Um, Miracle on 34th Street is a Christmas movie that's about how Christmas is a cool day. <laughs> it's also about 
No, it's it's, a, it's a trans not. allegory. <laughs> oh my fucking god! No. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, look, Josh, you're on Ghost Divers. It's a trans allegory. Yeah. Well. Um, <laughs> uh, do do we want to? So okay, first, are we good with New Year specials? Yeah. Okay, we're doing. Like also, you know, we don't even call it a Christmas. N- never mind. Like you have a lot of opinions about Christmas yeah. for for someone who who doesn't care about Christmas at all. So I celebrate Yule, which is you know the same time as Christmas and has a lot of similar symbols. Um, and part of it means that I I don't really care that much about like Christmas as a concept, but there are still movies, specifically movies that might be Christmas movies, but are also about other things. And my favorite one is Tokyo Godfathers, which is a Christmas. Got it. Movie. Duly noted. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we're doing Nana, everyone. It's Nana for our yeah. New Year special. Um, we're really doing something different this time <laughs> with the New Year special. We're going. <laughs> We're going off like way into the new territory. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think this just means I'm just going to have to do something like even more like out there for 2023. <laughs> so maybe it will be Brazil. Maybe it won't be. Um, yeah. We'll see. Uh, do we, uh, do we want to talk about paranoid agent some more? Oh yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> I just remembered that's what we were doing. Like hey, it was it, it was still Satoshi Kone. We were still <laughs> yeah. t- t- tangentially on topic. Oh, and the uh um uh Gein's estranged daughter in Tokyo Godfathers is in is in Paranoia Agent. So um we're on topic. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um <laughs> <laughs> so uh um Hirokawa um i think you know neve you have like uh, a lot of notes on the the deep dives on the individual yeah. characters here um and i want to give you like runway um to to do that um if you uh if you want to g- go into it with for hirakawa or if you feel like you've already um brought it up yeah i feel like i, I already kind of brought it up i guess the the part just to like further punctuate it is i mean the the episode is called a man's path or whatever um like it is also bringing in especially it, it feels kind of like uh sign in like manga 100 um, percent. yeah yeah it, it definitely has the vibes of it being like a lone wolf and cub style thing rather than like a shonen thing that he's reading um and kind of identifying with yeah, um, like fist of the North star or something. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it is this like a, a lot of it centered around this fulfillment of this masculine role of the like um, provider and protector of the family. Um, but kind of in this like uh, emotionally or like distant um actor in the family it's not about being in the family home and like helping out emotionally it is about earning money and like ha- having nice things for your family um 
and that is like what it means to fulfill this uh role as a, a provider and protector um and of course he just like I'm, he's the the most despicable character in the show um yeah in many ways uh but of course most like notably the exploitation of his daughter um which you know i don't actually remember if it ever gets like explained if the photos are for himself or are like another way that he's making money for the yakuza but oh, um, i didn't even consider that yeah um but i mean obviously the first alternative is implied by all of the the like sexual attachment to daddy as a role right. um rather than like a uh Rather than the the role of father that, like, when we see Tycho's side of the story, she is, like, viewing her father as. Um, you know, he, he has this, like, different perverse um, version of it that he's identifying with. Um, but, yeah, I, I think then, like, for me at least... Um, Tycho's story is interesting because it's kind of... It's, it's juxtaposed in some ways with the old woman um and in ways where i think sometimes it can become slightly confusing uh at the very beginning of is she talking about her past or are we just seeing taiko what's the relationship between these two characters um yeah they get it's like implied that, a lot. it's implied that taiko is the old woman's granddaughter like for a lot yeah. of and then it's like kind of revealed that she's not or yeah I, i'm uh, still yeah. not sure about that no i i think you yeah, because they're because they're cutting between her telling the story and then like Taiko like living her life, um, and I, I think once Taiko sees the old woman like in the flooding river and like has no reaction to that as like a person she recognizes, I think that's when you. Um, yeah, that's yeah. That's she she sees herself at first yeah. and not this old woman. Um, but yeah, but, but, yeah, it's a deliberate mislead for sure. Yeah, um, and and some of it to then have the reveal that. Um, with like Hirokawa and stuff, uh, which happens a little bit earlier, but like that continues on. Um, because one thing is that a, I think the old woman's the only person who's not like in some way, um, interconnected. I guess Tsukiko and the reporter are not directly connected with the other, but everybody else is kind of connected. We get like the the Hirokawa family, um. And through Hirakawa, uh, like Maria's sex work, then gets connected to Harumi, who's the tutor of Yuichi, which then yeah connects um, us with that. Th- there is one point where um, uh, Suki goes watching TV, and Marumi is like alive. One of the scenes where Marumi's yeah. alive, uh-huh. and Marumi's like, and, and uh, Suki goes like, I think I know him, and I think she's referring to um, Ushiyama. Um, as in she like met him on like a public transit or something. Um, she seems to recognize him. Yeah. Um, so that was like my, again, possible fan fiction, but how they yeah. all link together. Um, yeah. So with, with, uh, Taiko though, I think it is this, like a lot of what she's dealing with is this, Lost, like she has already lost the phone, uh, the home and the family in a way that it will then become literalized. But like the home as a safe space does not exist for her when we see her wandering around. Um, 
this connection to like her father that then gets like literally erased where she forgets everything um also does like no longer exist she doesn't have like a father anymore she has this like man who abused her um and a lot of it is sort of dealing with that like uh trauma and abuse which to, to some degree um and i think in a way that's like less direct than the stuff with harumi and uh, maria but there is a certain amount uh that you could maybe draw of like growing up um sort of like losing your home in the sense of like you move away you kind of lose the connections with your parents um also the like childhood realization that you eventually have that like your parents are sexual beings but all of it is like the most horrific um you know, it, it, I think it's not just intent. I think it's not just doing those themes because once it veers into this like um, sexual exploitation aspect of it, it becomes far more. Uh, it becomes a whole different beast, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, than just like finding out that your dad fucks, um, which is can can have its own small trauma, but is not nearly the same thing. Um, but. So yeah, she's like already lost all of the the positive attachments she's had. Um, and basically her relief is just like the loss of the negative two. Um, the loss of all of the memories of it, of like n- no longer having to deal with any of it because what she's been left with is just the like this negative side. Um, all of that positive stuff is just something that like potentially makes it more painful. Uh, all the negative stuff. Um, and yeah, I, I think it it is important for the development of this um, that hers is kind of the most, you know, she she does get this relief of she no longer remembers the trauma and everything that happened. But um, one, as someone who like repressed childhood stuff, that's not like good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess maybe if it's permanent, but like it's not really good. Uh, but also like seeing her end up with Hirokawa again, but not knowing any of it. Unaware of the danger. Yeah. Unaware of the danger is also not like a, um, a nice scene to end all this stuff with. Um, of all these episodes, her episode is, I think the hardest to watch. Um, not just for the, like, you know, reveal of the, the exploitation and abuse, but also for this ending, um, which, I think intentionally like you see the emptiness rather than like actual relief and you feel it too. Like there's a, there's just a bottoming out, but it's, it's not, um, it's not as like cathartic as the other stuff to just, there's a way to just see her in the, like, uh, basically unaware of like anyone in the hospital bed does not have that same cathartic feeling. There's a way that, like, the um, result of, like, the slugging um, is, like, gradually getting worse. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of, like, the slugging being framed as some sort of, like, relief or resolution. Because um, with, like, Tsukiko, she, like, okay, yeah, so she gets slugged and then, like, the pressure's off of her or whatever. Uh, we don't really see a lot of her, like work life after that um Mm -hmm. but presumably like the pressure is off of her and she can just go back to like 
doing whatever she was doing before. Um, even though like, if you look at it, the, her closely, um, it seems that there is like some conflict or something that is still unresolved, um, that I'm guessing will probably come up later. Um, then with Ichi, it's like, okay, he gets slugged and he's like exonerated. Um, and his status at the school or whatever is presumably like restored. Mm -hmm. Um, but all of the like violence and, um, like tension that exists within him because of like his construction of identity, um, that we saw like when he was in crisis, like is all still unresolved. Like it's still there. It's just been like deferred. Um, yeah. And then with like Harumi, it's like, you know, which we discussed at length earlier. Um, like, Oh, well Maria now like just disappears. Um, so she can just like, um, presumably like live as Harumi in this like repressed state. Yeah, like a shell of her, of her, for, of her entire self. Yeah. yeah. Like now she just like continues to live in this repressed state. Um, mm. Hirokawa is like an irregular instance. So I think we could probably like link him into this. Um, yeah. I mean, we can say that like he doesn't change at all. <laughs> Um, yeah. Or like well, and, and only until, with Taiko. Like, yeah. Right. Until yeah. Um, Taiko and the the like destruction of the home. Yeah. Because yeah, because I mean because I mean his his slugging by proxy is um like an aftershock of Taiko's emptiness. Right? Yeah. But like in the immediate, all it does is it just like frees him up to like not have to pay off like you know or it just like frees him to continue doing like whatever he's doing um and then taiko like loses her identity entirely or she has amnesia she loses all of her memory it, it's like this oblivion like you're talking about uh yeah. and then like of course in episode seven like kozuka is just dead um and whether or not that's like the little slugger who's done that um like we can like you know defer that can be debated um but it's like a movement towards like um like the resolution is like worse and worse uh for the individual like as it goes on yeah um sure so uh yeah i guess we'll we'll see um we'll see where that goes um the, the one other one that I haven't talked that much about um, is much like the series, let's wrap around to the, the first victim, uh, Tsukiko, where, um, you know, you, you talked a little bit about, like, we've talked about the pressure she has and kind of the the incomplete resolution from the attack. Um, but that, the one other thing that I think that is interesting that comes up here is, of course, the pressures are around creating a character more popular than uh, Maromi. And I think it's very uh, intentional and interesting that when she's giving the description of her attacker, 
um, which of course people believe to be a lie, uh, she is drawing in her, her mm, book. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. and I think draws that sketch that you see of the silhouette of, of yeah, Shonen Bat. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when that gets reported at the very, like in a way she has created a character 100%. Who, is, who is more popular than Maromi or at least as popular, um, mm-hmm. who can then become like, somehow other people are now encountering this character um in the way that marumi has like seemingly some sort of animation or like sentience um Um, it's like an extension yeah and it's interesting that marumi will also kind of appear um as like people might have merch throughout episodes that aren't just tsukiyo of course she's like you know covered with merch for for uh tsukiko which uh, or for Maromi, which, um, you know, Emily working for Pusheen, I can confirm, like, you just get a lot of free <laughs> shit. So we just yeah. have so much Pusheen shit in our home that we haven't paid for. So I totally understand having a shit ton of Maromi stuff as the person who created her. Um, probably all of that's free. Um, yeah, but she like, doesn't love Maromi like I do, though. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, but, you know, Maromi has, like, varying levels of embodiment. Obviously, when with Tsukiko, like they will have conversations and um, sometimes Maromi will like get up and walk around and, and like talk. Um, but we also get often in moments the, on these, like, it doesn't seem like it is googly eyes, but on these like pieces of merchandise, the eyes might turn and look um, mm-hmm. happens again and again throughout the series. Um, and it even includes like Hirokawa, someone who, uh, you would not expect to have any Maromi stuff. And I don't believe he has any merch on him. Uh, but his pink ski mask at one point towards the end spills looks, out on the concrete and yes. looks like, looks like Maromi. Maromi. Yeah. That's yeah. in my notes. I was like, I see the secret Maromi in the shot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so like, that character is also recurring and often recurring um, in connection with like the appearance of Shonen Bat, um, which we will maybe talk about if there's more stuff that develops there later. But um, I think is a, is an interesting thing to take note of if, if listeners have not noticed this yet, it's a thing to pay attention to. Um, I assume people have seen Murami walk around and talk, but <laughs> I could see easily like missing some of the eye movements and, like mm-hmm. the, the ski mask and things. Um, the one thing that I'll um, I'll add on Sukiko, uh, just because I I remembered it when you were talking. Um, since we're discussing like this conflict, um, or like oh, what is Sukiko's like identity crisis? Um, one of the things about Sukiko that I noticed was um, so she's obviously she's an artist. Um, but within this corporate context. Um, so she's forced to like apply her art to commercial ends and under corporate pressures. Um, so uh, like, you know, my first reaction is that uh, this ties into like the, the questions of identity that we've brought up um, where like Sukiko's identity is so much um, is so centered on like her being an artist, but like, um, there is a attention, um, and like an external, uh, pressure, uh, or like a constraint of possibilities, um, for her, where like the only way that she can be an artist seemingly, um, 
and like survive in this society is to do like this, you know, corporate stuff um, and work for this company that like uh, exploits her and her art. Um, so uh, your comment about or your observation about how like Shonen Bat is a character that um, or, or you know, maybe this like character that she's creating um, as like uh like this is like the spawn point of shonen bat is like um as like a pressure release valve um for like suhiko in this conflict um like for herself um but then like it is animated in this way that like we've seen with Muromi, but to this like greater extent that it's taken on a life um you know like it's this greater independence or whatever um so right yeah. Maybe, uh, yeah. I maybe. Mean, yeah. I mean. Uh, um, I mean. I think that's a, such a great observation from Neve is because like uh, Suki, Sukiko, at maybe first glance seems like the only one who gets away without like a monkey's paw curl, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Everybody else. Everybody else. Uh, the paw is a full ass fist by the end of the slugging. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I mean, that's 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 her curl, right? She does make a more popular. Um, character than marumi uh and it's now a like a psychic menace to society <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and also not seemingly making her money the thing that the pressure was about <laughs> Ab- yeah, absolutely not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i can't believe that you made a more popular character with your hobby work we don't know right. that we can't monetize <laughs> that <laughs> how do um, i get the rights to sell shonen bat merch I don't know. I mean, maybe uh, within this world, obviously within like the real world, that's already been that's already happened. I'm sure you can buy Shonen Bat merch. <laughs> you can probably you probably buy Shonen Bats. Yeah, pre crumpled, <laughs> golden bat, pre bat. Right. Yeah. Um, I had someone's like, for sure sold that hat right with like the buttons. with like the buttons. Oh, yeah. they like if they haven't yet, there's going to be a, uh, a paranoia agent revival in the next half decade, and they will. Yeah, yeah someone has like cosplayed as that. Absolutely, <laughs> we're going to kick it off. Yeah. Um, I had like two more observations that I wanted to bring up. Um, so the first is Hirokawa. Um, I'm not going to say too much because I think you, um, you you framed it well. Um. But the thing that uh, stands out for me with Hirokawa is like, okay, yes, he he's doing the same thing where he's like taking on um, or constructing his identity in relation to like this archetype um, of this like Sinan hero um, that's also like reflecting and related to like the standard, you know, patriarchal norms or whatever. Yeah. Um, but we see so many like uh, clips and like get so many quotations from this comic um, that he's like identifying with. Um, so so we know a lot about it. And uh, one of the things that stands out for me is the fact that like yes, it is framing this like patriarchal vision of masculinity where it's like oh you know he's a provider um, but like distant. Um, like the role is just to like provide for the family, um, financially and like work, um, and like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
but one and like earn money um but one one other aspect of this uh is like the violence um that is inherent in like in this uh, archetype so yeah. like in the comic we see um the way that he's like protecting and providing is just like constant violence um like killing and fighting and like uh that's like what a man's path is um is just like saturated with uh these like various forms of violence um and i think like part of the show's critique is that this is so much of a subtext of like that like standard like masculine patriarchal like masculine um archetype anyway um and so the conflict for hirakawa is that like of course like he himself is a terrible person um but in the in a similar way that like harumi is um internalizing like this this role um that's socially constructed and already conflictual in a way that's like not uh, reconcilable um Hirokawa is internalizing this role that is like already uh like conflictual um and like already uh defined by and like saturated with violence um yeah and so then like all of this like violence sexual violence um and then just like physical violence um is like exploding out of like Hirokawa's character um but like it is like i think the show is framing this as like part of the same pattern um and like you know it's part of this like larger social critique definitely um, <laughs> and the second uh sorry i know we were like past that conversation but i wanted to get no, that out it's, there it's good to to put the final point on that um and then the the other thing that I enjoyed is um, the detective fiction framing, um, because part of this like narrative is like this detective fiction narrative. Um, yeah, and it made me think a lot about like um, in like literary history and literary theory, um, detective fiction has like often been. Um, like mixed with like existentialist themes uh or like deployed in that way um because it is such like that narrative form um like lends itself to like expressing this dilemma of like understanding people other people in the world itself um where like detective fiction is so much about um like in the philosophical sense, like trying to sort phenomena and like establish laws of causality. Um, and like the baseline detective narrative is always like, um, like the Sherlock Holmes story, um, is about like asserting a rational universe where it's like, Oh, like we have this mystery that's inexplicable. Um, but like then the main character who I, who we identify with is the one who like, sorts out these phenomena and makes them make sense. And then we have like a rational explanation at the end. Um, and it is like this empiricist, like rationalist uh, worldview um, that like is enacted. 
basically. Um, and like, this is what Ikari is. <laughs> um, like that's literally like his worldview. He is like this character um, where he's like, one of the quotes that I pulled was uh, no matter how chaotic a crime may seem, there's always some law of causality. Um, yeah. So it's, it's very like, uh-huh. it was fun for me to see like paranoid agent um, blending in like this type of narrative and this type of character. Um, but then like, uh, like in conjunction with all of the other, like the rest of the narrative, um, like the detective fiction genre becoming like part of, um, this larger drama about like, um, like the impossibility of like rationalism or empiricism, um, like the impossibility of understanding the world in this way or forcing the world into this frame. Um, yeah. Where like Ikari's like, um, obviously it's, it's staged like explicitly in like the Holy Warrior episode. Um, but then continues to be, um, in the following episodes, like a major focus. Um, his, the way that he's like, um, struggling to like resist the like quote unquote fantastical or like irrational frame um and like trying to assert to the point where he's like violent becomes violent um and is like assaulting kozuka um because he's desperate um like him trying to assert this rationalism and then the like breakdown <laughs> of like of that worldview um and i think you chose a good episode to end it on um this arc on because like yeah. this is the this is the like final moment um where he's like oh yeah this actually doesn't like make sense um where his like explanation is is finally um like dismantled or whatever um, yeah so uh well, I, and- I really enjoyed that subtext um and maniwa is interesting too both like one um even early on, like in that Holy Warrior episode, um, I would say that Ikari is doing a etic approach of like, from the perspective of like the observer, the like is trying to assert, as you're saying, this like uh, rational objective um, perspective, and it is specifically like, but also from his kind of perspective, which he he believes to be like the true rational objective one. Um, But he is sort of asserting that throughout. Whereas Maniwa is taking the emic point of view, which within like anthropology and and folkloristics and things um, is trying to uh, like talk about and, and research from within the perspective of say like the, the culture that you're studying or the individual. Um, and so him, rather than saying like, okay, here are the, the victims, like give us the information is instead leaning into, let me read this like RPG guidebook that you are using so I can try to understand like your worldview. And then I can try to like hear your story from within your own perspective and then do some sort of like from that point try to draw other connections to like my own perspective, but I am going to like present myself as this character, 
in the guidebook because then I know that that will like um, engender you to like speak to me and and rely on me as a person to like write down your story and things like that. Yeah. Um, and this escalates in in episode seven. And in a way where uh, episode seven in particular is the one that um, really reminded me the most of uh, Kurosawa Kiyoshi films like Kier. Um, there's also some pulse with like all of the the f- like static sounds with the megahertz. Yeah. Um, again, like I talked about Servant's Path, which is a, a film all about like the about revenge, but specifically around like the difficulty in um a turn attaining like a, a true sense of events um, around a crime in a way that you can actually ever satisfactorily get revenge. Um, and th- that it has to like necessarily bloom out into like this sprawling, uh, like basically everyone who could possibly be attached to it then has to be killed. If you're like seeking revenge. Um, and so like, I think in that in particular, he he is pushing beyond just this, like, let me take this point of view to uh, try to understand the case, but begins to, like, uh, fully align his perspective into this, like, breaking down of rational um, and, like, uh, objective reality and being, like, the weight that I understand this case and that we can explain this case is the supernatural. Absolutely. Um, is he is like changing that, like, into a different person. Yes. Um, and, and that is like a, that process, like at the end of episode seven, like unlocks a new thing in the, you know, it, it breaks the cycle and it unlocks a new, um, it's the first time that we ever like kind of explicitly see other stuff has been portrayed as uh fantastical, but like, within the perspective of the individual. This is the first time that that seems to like branch out into other people's perspective um, of what's happening. Um, Definitely. Um, But yeah, that was all I had. Um, Yeah. I feel like, uh, I feel like we've framed up so much and like covered so much of what this show is doing that. Yeah. um, Yeah. I, I feel good. Do you, do you have any final thoughts, Josh? Um, no, I mean, I just wanted to talk, um, my only note that we haven't covered in some ways, um, just the intro, um, first of all, banger. Slash, yes. No, uh, uh-huh. never skip it. Um, yeah. but I also think it's so, um, simple in its brilliance in informing the show, um, because, you know, it is, uh, if I suppose if the listeners haven't seen the show yet, it, it's all of the major characters, um, laughing hysterically looking directly into camera um, and they're all standing in scenes of disaster or imminent uh, crisis uh, or um, otherwise like uh, near annihilation. Yeah. There's even Um, a a mushroom cloud and like the lyrics are like basically talking about like a mushroom shaped cloud in this like very not acknowledging Adam bomb way. I, I think, yeah. it, I think it's don't worry about the mushroom cloud. Yeah. Uh, do not acknowledge the mushroom. <laughs> don't cloud. worry about the tsunami. Uh, it's yeah. another one. Um, and, and I think that's so, um, you know, especially with what we've been talking about for hours, it's so in, indicative of what, um, what the slugging is really doing here. It's um, all of our characters are um, 
completely free from their stress, right? Um, they're looking at you and laughing uh, unsettlingly uh, how hard they're laughing, um, but they are in crisis. Um, and yeah. it, it, show, it shows that the, the slugging um, in a certain way solves your problems, but it, you know, it, nothing materially changes. You are still in crisis. Um, and it, it's, it's just such a great um, way to visually show that, especially given that the outro is um, uh, the post slugification of all of the cast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it, 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 it's a great bookend to show, yeah. uh, to Every, show that. everyone's slumbering peacefully while Maromi just sits there, a giant Maromi in the middle of all of them. <laughs> I, I, I actually think as genius as I think the opening is, I think the outro is even more genius. Yeah. Um, it, there's, um, I, again, if the, if listeners haven't seen it, it's just these really beautiful illustrations of the characters unconscious or sleeping, um, but you know, peaceful. Um, and uh, a slow pan as it fades from one character to the next, um, ending in uh, a wide shot of all the characters in a question mark, like like Neve was saying around Maromi. Um, it, it's it's so it's, it's such a release, you know, after um, after you know what the content of the episodes are, but uh, again, not in a way that gives you actual catharsis. Yeah, well, it's also interesting too because uh, especially at the very beginning. Um, it still just shows you all of the characters and there's like clues in the illustrations about what's going on with them to some degree. Um, but like you still just like, you don't have the full time to be like, Oh, there's like Harumi and her, you know, other personality Maria. Like you're not, you understand that after you see the episode. Um, but when you first see it, you're like, Oh, there's just like two women in that shot. Um, Oh, you know, after the second episode, you're like, oh, I guess that's the tutor for, you know, Ichi or whatever. Um, And so, yeah, this like the, the intro kind of gives you all the characters, but in this way where so much is happening um, in the backgrounds Mm. of those shots that like, it's easy to not focus in on them in the same way that like the intro to Bacchano is like, you know, freeze frame name. (laughs) We know we have lots of characters. We're going to remind you of the names say, every single intro. I was going to um, say, Bakano desperately needs yeah. you to remember who these yeah, people it's, are. It's very functional. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas that one is kind of doing, and then this one is the one that, like, the focus is just, just the characters. And so if you watch the outro, you're just thinking about, like, well, I guess we're going to see that character later. I don't know what their deal is, but, like... <laughs> that person's coming up oh they it's interesting that like the old man and the old woman are like key figures here um you know Mm -hmm. and you're just like left to ponder that and it's so slow that all you can do is ponder the characters so yeah it's kind of beautiful for that um is that all we have it's a good show folks yeah (laughs) talking about bookends um Uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, Here's a here's a Maromi pillow that uh, is currently on sale. If you want to buy it, Josh, um, only if it'll speak to me, yeah. it'll give you the comfort at, you at need four for in your the morning. next intense moment, at least for a little while. Yes, that's great. We know they watched the series. I also googled Maromi plush and like, like here's one that you can get that as a listing. But like, I'm just all of them. I just feel like the feet are wrong. You know, like, uh, I, I think what I think what both of these are missing is that Maromi's like five percent upsetting yeah and Um. also that like (laughs) like 
I'm looking at a picture of Moromi, and the body is like not that much smaller than it is in that doll, and yet it just feels so much smaller. It's also way smaller than this pillow. Moromi's head is yeah. just massive, and like it cannot support the weight of its own head. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is key about it. But also the feet are just like, like the construction of them does not have this like defined foot leg. It's all just kind of like a, it's like a bean bag that is just kind of slumped yeah. into a foot. And, and, and I think that sack quality is vital to uh, yeah. Maromi as like a semiotic. Yes. <laughs> you, sure. need a, you need a slightly understuffed, um, yes. like, beanbag like body. from your arm. Yeah. And then a way limply. overstuffed with, like, the, the you know, fluff filler for the head. Right. But the body just needs to be the, like, most, like, did we lose beans at some point? <laughs> <laughs> I don't see a hole, but I feel like there's supposed to be more in here. <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah, neither of these are... They're upsetting, but not in the right way. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> they're upsetting for, like, accuracy reasons, not for, like, yeah, like, yeah. affective yeah. reasons. <laughs> um, anyway, it's great that we're talking about photos on this uh, <laughs> classically... Audio, audio format. format. Yeah. <laughs> We, we describe um, photos a lot in Pondering Putan. It <laughs> turns do. out that that's something that we just like we end up doing a lot for it's some just objects on our I would, desk. I would, I would say the verb pondering tends to lend itself to something visual, at least. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, join us next time for the conclusion of Paranoia Agent with episodes eight through thirteen. Um, if you have emails for us, you can send them into ghosttodiverspod at gmail.com and we will answer that when we get to the question bucket. Um, please go to exportaud.io and support the network for $1. You will get early access to a bunch of podcasts, which basically means you get them a week early. Um, that includes Pondering Puton, the other show that Connor and I do that we just referenced. Um, you can find the free feed at exportaud.io slash Puton. Um, you can also get Ornate Stairwells a week early, um, which the free feeds at exportaud.io slash Ornate Stairwells. That's a movie podcast that I do with my friend Autumn. Um, and there's a bunch of other great podcasts on the network, uh, like Hot Singles and Music Podcast. Um, when this is going, I don't know if Bag End Book Club will be like still going, because I think they're finishing the Silmarillion really quick. Um, but that's a Tolkien podcast. Uh, there's a Batman podcast podcast there's there's a whole bunch um yeah uh which is is honestly like kind of pondering puton vibes but a way more on focus than Uh, pondering bat yeah Yeah. but they do just watch an episode of the animated series and kind of talk about it sometimes (laughs) and most of it is just chatting but usually they're like chatting about things that are related to batman or comic books or whatever um Whereas pondering Putan, we are truly just pondering whatever we want to ponder for uh, exactly a half hour before the timer goes off and we have to end the podcast. Um, Also, I didn't mention this for the intro episode, but for $5, you get uh, Pop Town Funk, which is an episode or a podcast that um, Autumn and Nora do, which is Autumn's wife. Uh, where they roll a random Funko Pop and then they usually watch a movie related to it. Um, sometimes they've done a thing other than a movie, but usually a movie will will 
um, Lana. So basically, it's just an RNG that primarily gives you stuff that old nerds care about. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the entire internet now. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the uh, e-economy. <laughs> um, then you can follow the podcast at Ghost Divers Pod on Twitter or at Ghost Divers on co-host. You can follow me at Fox Wamnia on Twitter and co-host, and I guess also Letterboxd, which I always forget to mention. Um, I also have a Twitter account that is Media underscore Pile. That's M-E-D-I-A-M-H underscore P-I-L-E, uh, which I haven't been using that often lately. Um, but like, if I'm reading something on my Kindle, I might screenshot and put stuff up or, uh, sometimes they post, um, screenshots of stairs, especially for movies. Cause we love stairs. Uh, where can people there's find stairs you, in, Connor? There's some stairs there in Brazil. There are some stairs in Paran. Oh yeah. There's stairs in Brazil. There's also some <laughs> in Paranoia Agent. There are some good stairs. Um, y'all can follow me at, Reb- at Rebelais, R-E-B-B-L-E-A-S on uh, Twitter um, and co-host. Yeah. Where can people follow you, Josh? Sorry, what's co-host? So co-host is... Do you remember Tumblr? Do you remember how Tumblr was great? Uh, sure, I was uh, 20 once, yeah. Well, now there's a website called co-host that is... Um, you can go... It's cohost.org. Check it out. Um, if you want to sign up, let me just check. Live is on it the new pod. Tumblr? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's it's basically like doing a Tumblr thing. Um, I don't have any invites yet to uh, let you start posting, but if you signed up and you wanted to to post or chost, as people say, um, I might be <laughs> I might get an invite <laughs> at some point. <laughs> uh, my goodness, um, it's a great you website. can <laughs> you can you can follow at Fox Omnia, at Ghost Divers at Putan uh, at Nana. Uh, I oh and you got at I have all of those. Yeah, oh, I have it's, Nana. it's open season out there. Yeah, truly, damn, that's that's free real estate out there. Um, uh, so uh, above and above all, you can um find me and my co-host Craig Neeson and my other co-host Alex Hawking. We do a genre film podcast called Swim Fans. Uh, we've had Neve on a couple episodes. Um. And other people, too. Uh, we generally do erotic thrillers, but we break it up all the time with other yeah. sort of genre stuff. You had an extended um, teen movie section. If people are looking through and they're like, why are there a bunch of movies here that are not erotic thrillers? It's because you were doing teen movies. Yeah, I mean, not to not to do a swim history, but we had two years <laughs> of erotic thrillers, one year of teen movies. And then Alex said, please, I can't watch another one. So <laughs> I do erotic thrillers because I'm accommodating. Um. But uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, a labor of love between the three of us, and we very much like talking about movies with our pals. Um, so if you've liked even one of my thoughts on this podcast, um, perhaps you'll like that as well. Uh, you can find that at all your podcatchers and on all the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at SwimFansPod. Um, and uh, myself, you can find at UserAmons, ammo, double NS at all those places. Uh, but you may not at me about Tokyo Godfathers. Um, I won't hear about it. I'm just saying it's a Christmas movie. If I get even one at about this. <laughs> Blocked. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm going to leave the thread open-ended. Okay. Um, I think I think that's it. We we got everything. Bye. Yeah, thanks for, ha- thanks for having us on. Yeah. Um, I mean, you'll be back again. <laughs> I'll be back again. In two weeks. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. 
I do just really enjoy the show. Anyway, bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs>